in Star Wars, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on the characters, details, things, places, stuff, especially this one, character of Star Wars. I'm here with my fellow Fett biographer, Russ. Mac, it is great to be back doing a uh, more normal topic this week. We are going to dive into our second round of Boba Fett. It has been about a hundred episodes since we last you, talked Boba yeah. Fett, episode three. So it's been a minute. Mm, yeah, and we are back. I, to yeah, talk so it's, about it's Boba been, again. It's been a while since we talked talked about it. Yeah, it, what? Uh, yeah. So the thing about it is, we're going to mostly focus in on what's happened to Boba Fett. Between episodes five and the start of Book of Boba Fett, six years after Return of the Jedi. And the biggest chunk of that is the Marvel comic crossover event, War of the Bounty Hunters. So that's going to be a big, big chunk of what we're going to talk about. So spoilers for that comic book, the last printing of it all wrapped up in November. Um, You may have had the chance to finish it up, but if you're holding off or maybe you're like me, you're a Marvel Unlimited subscriber, so you read all those (laughs) comics six months later. Um... Just full warning, we're not going to go absolutely beat for beat through everything, but if you're trying to avoid spoilers and you want to read it in your own time, we are going to go over the main thrust of that Mm -hmm, plot, mm -hmm. Um, along with just some other smatterings of where Boba Fett is in the Star Wars era that we live in right now. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, sort of who the character is uh, here, and uh, that way we'll be set up to see who he's going to become now that he has his own show. It's going to be a blast, and we're going to get started right after this. discussing Boba Fett and where he is here at the, you know, the dawn of the book of Boba Fett. Russ, let me ask you a question. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've ever been on AO3? <laughs> the website? The website? Yeah. Uh, Fanfiction.com? still around? Does oh, it yeah. still exist? Okay. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Probably more popular than ever. Probably, I'm sure. But no, it's been a long time. But Okay. Um, so no fanfiction.net? That's not really your scene? Not, not generally, no. Have you seen um, my own characters that I've made in Fellows Like Me on, like, DeviantArt, Tumblr? Sure, sure. Familiar with the Yeah. Okay, because I mean, I'm familiar with fiction. I think that understanding that is important when we engage our first big leg of this topic, which is to sort of encapsulate and talk about Star Wars, War of the Bounty Hunters. Mm -hmm. Because Mac's opinion on the comic books are that some of the sources I just mentioned are more reverent of the material than Marvel comic books is. And the last thing I want to say before we get into the story is, in the olden days, we had <laughs> levels of canonicity. That was a good thing. So anyway, we're going to be talking about kind of, I, I guess, the Disney 
it, it, we originally talked about Boba Fett like way back in our first year, and we're sort episode of episode three. Three? It's been a minute. It's been a bit. It's been, it's a, been a bit. Yeah. They've, you know, 120 some episodes we're doing here yeah. and there. Yeah. yeah. yeah just a, a few. Bit. We've changed a little. A We've little. grown a little. Boba's grown a whole lot. We mostly do one topic at a time now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're bigger. For our own sanity. But they're bigger. Yeah. Um, well, you can actually, if you've been listening to our feed, you heard at the beginning of the year, our episode zero. So you're very painfully aware how far we've come. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about the Disney era. I'm going to just sort of uh, yada, yada, yada a little bit of it. Yeah. So one thing that is part of the Disney era is they have canonized and kept everything from Clone Wars. So we do see where Boba Fett is after the events of episode two and how he mm-hmm. gets involved with other bounty hunters, mm-hmm. how he sort of tries to become a boss pretty young. Like, I mean, he's, he's working with, but kind of ordering around bigger names like Bosk and Dengar and Aura Singh and people like this. So he's a force of personality and he already is extremely connected into the underworld even by the time he's in his teens. And as we see him go through the, you know, because he pops up in a couple of different seasons of the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. The first time we see him, you know, he's trying to kill Mace Windu and he's working with other bounty hunters. But really, they're just using him as a tool to try and, you know, get their job done, basically. Right. But by the time the Clone Wars ends, you've seen he's grown up a little bit. He has become sort of more of the ringleader or at least a more respected player in the game. So it doesn't take long for him to start establishing his own personality you know outside of his father and what we're starting to see now a little bit too is in the book of Boba Fett we are seeing some flashbacks Mm -hmm. to young Boba so who knows if we'll get anything more other than what we have so far you know a few new scenes from Geonosis a few new scenes from Kamino but right pretty minor stuff all things considered the Clone Wars is really where we get our young Boba development well and the fun thing about it is as Star Wars as a whole is evolving we're starting to get better insights into some of that stuff because like to be honest the character of echo Mm -hmm. in the bad batch is a great way to probably guess how boba felt when he was a kid his dad always going off on missions and him being left behind in tobacco city and just looking through a window you know being abandoned and sort of stuck in this pristine world that sees him as a product more than a person um, so I think that really can inform it. And so, like I said, during Clone Wars, we see all that. He never really pops up in Rebels. So the next time we see Boba Fett, he is already a heavy for Jabba, one of Jabba's more inner circle, because we see him at the docking bay shaking down Solo in mm-hmm. A New Hope. And we know that he's one of the most revered bounty hunters in the galaxy, because mm-hmm. by the time that, you know, the order goes out to go and capture you know, the Millennium Falcon for the Empire, he is one of the top five brought in and the only one that Vader points a finger to of like, no disintegrations. I just don't trust you. (laughs) And if Vader doesn't trust you, how much of a guy is this? And that's sort of where the whole Boba Fett legend begins is he's got this weird respect from Vader. He's the guy who captures Han Solo with this really clever trick. And it builds this idea of, this character is basically a blank set. He's a, he's a Joe Johnston designed cool set of armor and there is nothing in there really. And when you look at things like the faithful Wookiee and see sort of a embryonic version of him, he's basically just the, the, the one spy at Moss Eisley who's like, Hey, the empire the guys you're looking for is here. Like that's all Boba Fett really does in that storyline. So it's really interesting that now that we're getting the book of Boba Fett and the comics are starting to explore this, we are starting to mm-hmm. 
write the current narrative of who Boba Fett is. Because in the EU, people loved him, and so we wrote a billion different stories, which many of these will touch on or play with some of the concepts mm -hmm. in there. Um, but for the most part, this is a fairly whole cloth recontextualization. I, I equated to you in text messages at one point. I'm like watching Book of Boba Fett and trying to like both attach it to EU and not attach it to EU and dealing with the discrepancy there is the same problem that a lot of people had with Thrawn. Either you accept that he's in a different context in the new universe and that he's still that great character or you're just going to have a lot of problems because he doesn't fit in the universe the way he used to. And the nice thing about Boba Fett, like obviously with a character like Thrawn, when he only exists in the books and has not been in any other sort of content before, mm -hmm. you have a, a sort of more steady established character because it's only written by one person. Right. Whereas Boba Fett, you know, obviously George gave him a little bit more in the Clone Wars and in episode two. Um, but obviously early on, he wasn't very much. He was, you know, pretty milk toast. And so we're at a point now where giving him sort of this, for lack of a better word, canon story in yes. the new expanding universe is something that, in my opinion, we should all be looking forward to. Like, you know, getting these sort of gaps filled in in a sort of more official way, or I should say maybe a more complete way than yeah. we did before is exciting, at least to me. So, you well, know, yes, we... In the EU, is fairly kid gloves. The most official Boba content that existed pre, like, Django and, and again, him being ejected into the canon again with episode two was Shadows of the Empire. And Shadows of the Empire, he's a guy who grabs Boba, Boba Fett, grabs Han Solo, refuels at a spaceport, is almost intercepted by this one mercenary the Rebels have hired, and then he delivers Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. There's not... Other than continuing what we already saw in the movies of this terribly mysterious guy has his stuff together and he seems like a force to be reckoned with, that's it. Like, you know, there's no, even in the comic book and novelizations, Boba Fett doesn't really say anything during that entire event. So, yeah. And then obviously they do start to give him more character after the fact, you know, after mm -hmm. he gets out of the Sarlacc in the, you know, the old EU. But in general, he is a pretty nothing, no motivation character, just out here working. He's he, getting his job done. He's the ultimate action figure. Yeah. Much like Snake Eyes is to G.I. Joe, it took a really long time for us to figure out a story worth telling about this character that isn't, he shows up, does something awesome, and then is away. <laughs> And that seems like what a lot of people want out of Boba Fett. And, you know, the little bit of Boba Fett we've seen since the Disney acquisition really has all been in comics. You know, the, the yes. Star Wars line that filled in between episode four and five. There's mm -hmm. some Boba Fett in there. You know, him and Luke have a confrontation on Tatooine. And, you know, but it's still the same thing. He's not much of a character. So by the time we see him pop up in The Mandalorian... Yes. We have no idea who this person is. We have no where idea he's been, what he's yeah. about, where he's been. And so well, now that we're starting to get some of that spackled in, we can finally talk about it. Well, again. if nothing else, when the Mando starts, like when you're watching that opening episode of season two, um, I think the definite feeling I had was, who's this guy? That's Boba Fett's armor. You know, he's going to look for that, right? How are you already not dead? And then all I felt was, right, this is new canon. Where's Boba Fett? He's a rotted skeleton in the bottom of some Sarlacc. He just <laughs> dies like a punk, like he did in Return of the Jedi. He's dead. Yeah. And then by the end, you're like, 
not really. And then he's he's like this nomad. It's like what who what who is this guy? And that's the question that we we get answered eventually in Book of Boba Fett. But I think we we were just going to talk about we decided to sort of name this War of the Bounty Hunters as our section because that by far is the biggest passage of story developing Boba Fett's character that the Disney era of Star Wars has produced. Uh, this was besides a, the show. Well, but the sh- the show is still ongoing, right, right. so I Good can't point. talk about that as uh, a whole. Fair point. Um, fair point. Because this was all this is uh, a giant comic crossover that was hung on five main comic books that are yeah. collected in the book called War of the Bounty Hunters, but touched on pretty much all the Star Wars titles through last year. It was from May of 2021 to November of 2021, mm-hmm. and now it's pretty easy to get the collected volumes and kind of read it all together. Um, but it was basically when they moved Star Wars over to telling more stories between episodes five and six, mm-hmm. this is a story people want to know about. Well, I was gonna say, I'm about to get I'm about to give a backhanded praise, but I'm like, this is the shadows of the Empire. How does Han Solo get from Bespin to Jabba's palace? Whereas shadows of the Empire tells that story in the old EU. This is sort of. It's not the same story, but it's the same journey of how did we get? <laughs> yeah. How does how does that block of carbonite get from the slave one, the mm-hmm. ship formerly known as the slave one, <laughs> or it was known as the slave one as then? I could say that <laughs> um, all the way to hanging on Java's wall, and this yeah. sort of fills that in with um, a really big story that touches on all of their books, which means it's a massive event when you sit back and look at all the things that happen in the 30 odd some comic books this yeah. story takes place in and it also allows the story you know when i say story in quotes the whole story the overall story to bring back in characters and people we haven't seen in a little while as many as possible <laughs> yeah as many as possible so mac is that where we're going to start then we're going to start by talking about this war of the bounty yeah. hunter story All let's right. let's do that because i think that's going to be the bulk of this show so we start with boba fett has flying away from bespin mm-hmm. and uh things have gone poorly he got away scot-free like we saw but this stupid chunk of carbonite that's holding this person in there uh yeah no they, they haven't tried this on humans before. So it starts malfunctioning and melting. It looks as if, pardon me, looks as if it's melting, looks as if we can see, you know, Han's skin sticking through. Um, and, and they basically say that if we don't get this stabilized, he's going to die. So the whole time, Bib Fortuna's contacting Boba Fett, you know, where are you? Jabba's waiting for you, blah, blah, blah. And he, Boba Fett has to make a pit stop on Nauhada to try to try and basically yeah, get he, Han refrozen. Yeah, he ends up looking up a, a contact he has actually on, on Narshada. Oh, I'm smuggler. sorry, Narshada, yeah. That's okay, Narshada's a moon of Malhada. Yes, 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 um, yes. Or wait, wait, was well, a moon yeah. of Malhada. I assume yeah. it still is. Yeah. Um, and he looks up a doctor character in this, you know, cyberpunky city that is Narshada, and um, the doctor is going to go and fix it. But the problem with it is, is Boba Fett can't just come to a place with Han Solo and a block of slab, slab and that just be completely unnoticed. Yeah. I like the, you know, what's interesting about this story is it basically puts it in the context of 
Boba Fett is just like every other bounty hunter moving job to job. He yes. doesn't even have credits to pay <laughs> for this. So he has to, you know, take a job to pay for the job. Well, to blah, 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 blah. Well, bounty hunters and detectives have that whole of working on expenses. You pay for the expenses and the client reimburses you. So yeah. it's like all the stuff that Boba Fett's done is all dependent on this payday. Um, and also I like the way you said, it. I'm like, yeah, no, Boba Fett gets the gig economy. He doesn't have health insurance. <laughs> so he arrives to uh, meet his doctor friend who will not do anything without the money up front. Right. But he promises Boba that if you go kill this person for me, who is protected by the huts, then I will do the job for you. And so Boba paints his armor black and calls himself Django and enters a fighting arena where he takes down uh, about four or five different uh, henchmen, we'll call them easily. Goons. Be goons, use, before um, fighting a spider person. Yeah. That's uh, the best way I can really describe it. Yeah, but it's not a spider person like Admiral Trench. It's a different type of spider person. <laughs> That's true. More um, spindly, long legs, uh, less yeah. tarantula. Yeah, more yeah, daddy more, long legs. I don't or, know. Or, or Black Widow. Black Widow, yeah. yeah really, really kind of like pointy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he does end up squashing her below a rock, even though he loses his jetpack in the process. But don't worry, he'll get another one very quickly and easily. Right. He's uh, rising Phoenix. Unless that's the style. I don't know. We still we don't know. We still don't really know. Uh, and he returns to find his doctor friend dead, and Han has been stolen. Now, I do just want to point out that the doctor did restabilize Han here. So now Han Solo's back to being a, a ice cube. So before we get any farther, I just want to say they partially unfroze him, mm -hmm. refroze him, mm -hmm. and still did not address the change in shirt when he comes out of carbonite. They had the perfect opportunity. To Very do. odd choice, in my opinion. Well, but then, then again, I also think that there's another odd item about this is, so this... They, they imply this doesn't work because it's not supposed to be used on living things, yeah. right? But it has, because then how does Leia know about hibernation sickness if no one has ever been thawed out of one of these before? Did they like, hmm, well, before we thought Han Solo, can I have a volunteer from this ship? We're going to carbon freeze you and see what happens. You're game for that, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I think the whole, the whole Han unfreezing is a really weird, like, just steal from Shadows of the Empire. Just, he needs fuel. That's all you need. You don't need to have the carbon freezing systems breaking down. You can just, he's going for fuel and someone tries to steal it out of the back of his truck. Yeah, doesn't IG-88 like, like hitch a ride on his ship and attack him while he's in transit too? Like, yeah. like it, it, it's perfectly fine like to need to stop off well, and Han is melting. Like, I think that is a good start for the story. But the whole thing is called War of the Bounty Hunters. And there's very little warring of bounty hunters going in, on here. Until, like, the third act. In the third act, you get a room full of bounty hunters shooting each other. But but it, even there... All right, so let's talk about okay, it. Okay, so, so what happens here is... <laughs> I, 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 we're, we're doing a high overview. Yeah, this is we're not, not meant going to be, into all of the details. We are going to be spoiling things, but what, we're not going to be going beat for beat. Yeah. So the next, to me, big wrinkle in this story is... We have a new bounty hunter who's hired by Jabba to find out what the heck Boba Fett's doing. Why is he taking so long? I want my stoop, stupid Han Solo for my wall. Yeah. I have a vision. I have a place for it. It feng shui's and everything. I want it right now. And so he's going after Boba Fett. Meanwhile, Boba Fett is going like, crap. 
I need that guy. Who the heck stole it? I hope it's no one gigantic and super powerful that would make this really hard for me to reacquire him. (laughs) Oh, it's the Crimson Dawn who is on a coming back tour. They want to reintroduce themselves to the galaxy at large as a powerful syndicate. And so what they decide to do is they eventually acquire Han and they're going to auction him. And they invite Jabba to the auction for the thing that Jabba already rightfully stole. They invite all of the huts, the whole hut council, Black Sun is there, the Pikes are there, all of the big players, all of the little players. <laughs> also, really happy because they did say the word Black Sun and you see the logo like twice. Yeah. No idea why they're not important to this story. I, I couldn't help but read this story and keep going, you know, Shadows of the Empire had a much simpler, easier way to do this. You, It's so much easier. <laughs> it's a little convoluted so let's talk about it so after boba finds out he has been robbed and his doctor acquaintance is dead uh he heads to his ship where he is attacked by four and zuckus yes and um this begins the first of boba's let's call them very easy victories um so basically they uh set off a little charge by his ship he flies up into the air and then he remotely uses his ship to blast them off the platform. Yes. And basically this interaction is real simple. It's, hey, we respect you. We're not really here for you. We just want to know where Han is. We're not trying to hurt you. And Boba blows them to kingdom come. Yes. Literally like picks them apart. Like in any other story, you would think these characters are dead and gone. Correct. Because they are blown to pieces. Because Boba Fett's having a bad day and he doesn't have time for this crap. Yeah. And they like make a very, it's it's something that's going to keep coming up in these five issues of, they make a very specific point of showing like Zuckus blown apart, him throwing Forlom's severed head over a cliff. Like very yeah. much like these things are done. Um, so anyway, we get the first sort of war or battle of the bounty hunters, battle, yeah. but it's very much a, not a battle. It's just like Boba shooting and them being done. And I understand some people want to see that, but it's like every time there's an interaction between Boba and another bounty hunter, mm-hmm. it feels like they're just trying to rush to get through it. Like it's one well, page and it's and over. So it's very I, odd. Well, you got two complications going there. One, despite comic books being actiony. Your average a- action sequence takes maybe like two or three pages because you can't look at those poses for too long and sure. keep interested. And, and then on top of that, you have comic books have gotten very writery as of late. So there's so much they want to say. I mean, one of the things I thought is a kind of weak part of this entire book is keeping track of all the ancillary characters that walk on and off the stage. There are so many of them. And sure, there's a handful of them are characters that have already been established so it's not that hard to keep track of them but there's a whole bunch of new characters that are running around here um because like zuckus forlom yes i'm a star wars fan i know them (laughs) right but it's literally over in the turn of three pages like that that interaction is just it's a very weird like to me the whole if you hear war of the bounty hunters thing Okay, this is the five bounty hunters we saw on the Executor all trying to get Han Solo. Like, that's well, what this should you be. You would think it would be an extension of that. You'd think it's an extension of what IG-88 did in Shadows of the Empire yeah. of, hey, you know what? Boba Fett has Han Solo. We can admit defeat or we can go after him and steal that back yeah. from him. Because do you know how much Han Solo is worth? Yeah. 
So Zakis and Forlom try. It doesn't work. He finds out from them that Jabba's the one who put the you know the bounty out on him. Right. And uh, so he goes after them. Now, what's weird here, though, is Zakis says, we're here for Han. We'll let you go. But then Forlom tells him, Jabba put the bounty out on you. So it's a bit of an odd, well, convoluted thing. Because I later, read that a little bit more of the respect thing. Yeah. Of... Jabba's put a bounty out for you, but we're not here for that bounty. We're here for Han's bounty. Yeah. Like, see, because that's fair. You do your own thing, Boba. We're not here for, we're not here for you. I have a bounty on you. Oh, you, you didn't know. Oh, well, this is, this is awkward. And so to find out why it's so awkward, Boba travels to Tatooine, kills a couple of Gamorreans and is basically like, why'd you put a bounty out on me? And for the record, finishes the trip, essentially, like. So you get all the way to Tatooine without Han, <laughs> which just makes me further question, gosh, how much further did you have to go when you got in? Could you have gambled it and got Han back to Tatooine in the first go? Maybe. Like, if he expires once he's there, that's not your problem. Also, how much less is he worth dead? But I guess the problem is you kind of, like, you popped your your, your uh, message too early because Bib yeah. Fortuna is like, well, I promised him he'd be coming in this wall sconce you promised, and he wants it on his wall. He's got it all feng shuied out. <laughs> <laughs> so Boba is, you know, trying to get more information, and he learns that... You know, Han is captured by somebody and is going to be auctioned off. Because Jabba's not even here. <laughs> Jabba is headed off to this auction. And he's still pretty steamed about Boba Fett making him go to an auction for something he, in theory, already owned. <laughs> Very unhappy about it. But Jabba, it turns out, is the only smart slug in the bunch. Yes. Uh, we'll see as we go. So, you know, Boba is falling across the galaxy. Uh, he arrives at this sort of meeting place where Crimson Dawn is uh, organizing this whole auction. And this is where we start to see more of the players come together. We see Dengar show up here, who is also easily bested by Boba Fett. Uh, <laughs> Again, that's the pattern's going to repeat. The, the book has got Boba Fett on each one of the covers. He's kind of the star. Yeah. Um, and so the auction, um, we, this is where it's kind of revealed that Crimson Dawn is not only back, but being led now by Kira and Kira is the one behind this whole thing, this whole kidnapping of Han from Boba Fett. Right. And so this is a huge thing for, um, solo of reestablishing not only does, is Kira alive, but she's become the leader, mm -hmm. at least in every way we can tell of Crimson Dawn, which makes sense because, the Maul's not here. Um, and we know makes, what happens to Maul as Star Wars fans and Rebels. So, And it makes perfect sense. The only thing about it is that means it takes like eight years for Crimson Dawn to make a comeback after Maul's well, death. So it's a little mm, weird. Not Well, I, so Rebels maybe. starts five years before A New Hope. That's like season three, right? Correct. So let's say four years before A New Hope. And this is two years after that. So yeah, six but it years. also ends like less than a year from New Hope. So it's right. tough to pinpoint. Four to six the, but years. But more important, important, I was going to say is, but when you look at what Maul is, I don't think Maul went from a Crimson Dawn board meeting over to Moraban. I think there's, there's a gap there, yes, too. Yes, 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 yes. I'm yes. going to guess that Kira has low-key been running the remnants of this organization after Maul sort of like ruined Something it or let it, yeah. ha or let it fall apart. Mm -hmm. And I think she's been rebuilding it for the last like, 
10 years. Yeah. It'll be interesting to know. Hopefully we'll get more information. And it's good. It's great to see Kira again. She's a great character in this book. I think she's a lot yes. of fun to read. And I think they really do capture her essence well. Um, but this and is it's a where... big gambit that she's running to sort of have this auction, which brings all the syndicates together so that she can kind of say, like, we're the same as you. We are just as big, yeah. just as powerful, and this is a great coming out party of Tr we're back. Trying to show the world that Crimson Dawn is valuable right. and can contribute to the galaxy of criminals, you know, that they want to be a part of. And so this is where Han is. Boba is trying to break in here. Uh, you know, he ends up um, sneaking his way in, meeting Dr. Afra, uh, and yes, because Santa Solo. <laughs> I see. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. There, yeah, Dr. Afra and Santa Solo, because again, Dr. Afra is the glue holding the Mar the Marvel comics before mm -hmm, together. Mm -hmm. Han, I, Leia, or I'm sorry, Leia, Chewie, and Lando are all here uh, at the auction trying to, get a to piece win of that. Han back. And, yeah. and Vader's very aware of this and wants to get Han Solo back as a ploy to get Luke again. Yeah. He's fine that he let Han go before, but now that Luke escaped, he needs Han back as a, as a bargaining chip again. Yeah. So Vader's here too. Uh, and Jabba's mad because Jabba wins the auction for a million credits, but then Vader comes in and basically says, eminent domain, we're taking him. Because everything in the universe belongs to the Emperor, which is fair. I, I like this moment from Vader, of Vader basically coming in and saying, what do you want to do about a slug? You want to go? That's basically what Vader does, and it's good. I It's good Vader. Well, Vader and Jabba have had some really great comic interactions, mm -hmm. and this is just another, I think, follow-up to that. And we get to see some other huts. You know, there's a Braku hut or whatever trying to make a name for himself. And we see him. He's this younger. It's funny. He's more muscular, this hut. Yeah. And so we have all of these sort of these people that are here, you know, the emperor is trying to buy Han, the empire is trying to buy Han. It's this big soiree and it has yeah. a very colorful like canopy of like different people mm -hmm. running around. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting set piece for sure as this auction's happening. But basically as Vader comes in and sort of creates this big moment, um, he sort of basically says, take on to my ship. There's this big fight that ensues. Mm -hmm. And Kira and Vader end up going toe-to-toe -to -toe in a fight. Mm -hmm. And even though he's basically just toying with her, you know, she is basically saying, you know, I could stand up to a Sith before, so I don't mind doing it again here now. Mm -hmm. That that makes me think maybe she fought Maul at some point. Well, she knows Tarascasi, so she's not just some lamo who can't do this. She well, has been taught in the ways of a Jedi killing method. A fun thing about it is Vader's like, ah, this method. I know someone who you know learned that who fought like this a long time ago. I've not seen and, this in a long time. Yeah, it's a shame that I have to kill you because not a lot of people fight this well anymore. Stuff like that. Yeah. So it's it's good stuff, and it really just you know gives us more Kira, which is fun. But this whole kind of thing is like, there's not a lot going on for Boba Fett here. And basically, uh, you know, Han gets out uh, on the Imperial shuttle. Mm -hmm. He's uh, with the Empire. You know, uh, Leia and uh, Lando and Chewie are able to disable the shuttle. But then the huts go in. Meanwhile, Luke is distracting Darth Vader and his X-Wing. So mm -hmm. all of these things are going on. And Boba's still just trying to get Han back. They end up, you know, that most of the huts are, you know, in a fight with the Empire. The rebels can't do anything about it. Boba's in his starship. And basically, with another bounty hunter, uh, Valance, who, if you don't know, is basically like a Terminator. 
um, mm. with like if you're familiar yeah. with Dragon Ball Z, how they have like the the androids have the like energy things in their hands. He's kind of like a Terminator mixed yeah. with one of those. Um, well, if you're really into Terminator, it's a TX that has built-in weaponry. Well, that's yeah, that's true. But he doesn't have the ability to manipulate his weapons. It's like one single weapon. Let's go. By the way, was this before or after? What is it? The mind dampener? Is that what? later? The thing Doctor Afra uses that like basically it's a Sith artifact that reduces a person's will to nothing that anyone can use. Like you don't need dark side powers to use oh, this dark. That must be in the Afra comic. That wasn't in this. Oh, you didn't see. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that the whole Afra, the Afra subplot. Comic. I didn't. In the Afra in subplot. She's barely in this. It, in the Afra subplot, the because there's like, yeah. I think three or four, maybe five issues that connect back to this. Yeah. One of the things that was like a really, it was a Sith artifact. It's like, again, the mind dowser or something like that. Yeah. And it, it's Dr. Afra using a Sith artifact, and I'm like, that's not how those work. Yeah. That's just not how. I love Dr. Afra. She's an amazing character. I still She's feel that fun. she doesn't feel like a, from a movie from the 1970s, so I wish she was just in current canon because she's the most millennial character ever. But she's great. I'm just so shocked by how many places she shows up. It's like, you, your life shouldn't... How have they not put you to live action show yet? Like, oh, it's, it's coming. It's amazing. There's no way it's not coming. I I don't know. Especially I, after Black Crescent. To be honest, it's going to really be telling on how much they care about comic books by what gets out of the comic books and into to the bigger live action or, I, or, or animated stories. Now that stories. we've seen Crescent and make the jump, it's only a matter of time till Triple Zero and BD1 don't, come rolling don't, out. Don't I, I don't yep. need... Yeah. Abbott and Costello Evil Edition. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so, so Boba this, and yeah. Valance follow Han's block of carbonite onto the Imperial ship, onto the Executor. Boba just uses his clearance codes that he had from when he met with Vader earlier. Yes. So it's just like they just let him on board because of the attack yeah, of the, the huts. It's an old code, but I was about to clear it. Uh, they just are, they're very loose security, it seems. So anyway, the huts start attacking. Jabba has left because he knows this is a, a you know, a, a folly. It's not going to happen. They're not going to defeat the Empire. So Vader is basically told to stop pursuing Luke and go kill the huts. Send a message. We don't want to, you know, totally eliminate our deal with them, yes. but send a message so they don't do this again. So Vader goes to the hut flagship, kills all of the huts except Jabba, yep. basically eliminating the hut council and consolidating the power to Jabba. So that's an interesting story because the hut power dynamic is something we don't see a ton of. Like we saw some well, of it in Clone Wars and stuff like that. So it's degree, interesting to get more of it here. But do remember... This is the second time the Hut leadership has been wiped out in in <laughs> Disney canon. Yeah, it happens often. Yeah, because but Job always survives. That's because he's smart. Yeah, he's very smart. You see that lazy eye? You don't think he's smart, but he is. <laughs> and eventually, uh, so after leaving Valance for dead by throwing a, uh, I assume a thermal detonator, some sort of charge onto his yeah. chest and blowing him to pieces. Boba leaves another bounty hunter practically for dead behind. Mm -hmm. um, and you know what's interesting about this whole story? Uh, because then Boba gets the block of carbonite, delivers it to Jabba, uh, and basically has said, hey, stick around. We may have some more work for you. He does that. It's interesting that there's no IG-88 popping up in here. 
Noajit and uh, Bosk doesn't really feature. Oh, her. Bosk does show up. We missed Bosk. Oh, yeah. Bosk is before Boba goes into the party. Oh, but that's he right. blows off his legs and ties him to a rock. Once again, incredibly easily. There's just no... But he's For also, a war of the bounty hunters, there's no warring. It's like well, again, they each that, do a, a match of rock paper scissors, and then that's the end of it. The brawl that they have at, after Vader shows up—that that is what. Yeah, I mean, but Bob is not there. But, but here's <laughs> the thing. That. But you know who is there? Huh. Do you know what all the weird stuff? Dirge is there. Yeah, I get Dirge. it. Yeah, Dirge. Yeah, I know. I just. He's th- not from the Clone Wars anymore, kids. He's here now <laughs> being the weird worm person thing he is. And he gets spaced. I don't know if he can survive that. He might. I don't know. Another thing I want to point out about the end of the book, just real quick here, is at the end when Kira's basically like, we were successful and Darth Vader didn't kill us. This was the unveiling we needed. Uh, the Knights of Ren are there. Oh, I would. Yeah. Which is something worth pointing out. Now, not all of them, but like four of including before Kylo Ren, the previous Ren is and, there. And, and that's an interesting thing. And establishes them as a gang by the time of of the Empire, the, the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, oh, real quick. I just want to mention. Very interesting. For those who don't remember Dirge, and I can't imagine why, he's from the Jenny Tarakostigi, the Clone Wars series yeah. that was produced right before episode mm-hmm. three and he was supposed to be this sort of mandalorian super weapon thing um it's just very odd for him to come back into canon in this way yeah um anyway uh i mean that is the fun of the comic books is they're bringing things back or back into the story that we maybe didn't expect to see or didn't expect to see come back and, and some of the but, weirdest stuff that came from and, and paying homage to trying to bring stuff from the 70s and 80s era Star Wars mm-hmm. comics like Jackson, the Jackson. eight foot tall green rabbit man. Heck yeah. Jackson, baby. He's got a black series figure. I hate Sure does. I, I have hate, it. I hate the dark timeline we find ourselves trapped in. <laughs> got a pandemic and Jackson the rabbit has returned to canon. Yes, he has. He's back, baby. Um, so that is the War of the Bounty Hunters main storyline. As we said, there's a lot more detail in here and a lot of stuff we didn't talk about, but it's a very, well, (sighs) weird story in my opinion. Well, I think the saddest part to me is, so in general, I don't like it and I don't like it for three reasons. One, I'm not particularly pleased with it because I found it really complicated. And I think that's because like... When I watched some of the explainer videos to like catch myself up on it, because I didn't have time to read all of them, I was surprised how much, again, how many characters and how many names and how many weird things are happening. I'm like, but that's what happens when you have a story that has to have one set of five comics that tell the whole story, but then bolts on all these other comics to it. You've just got to bloat it. There's no way around that. And when you told me that, just because I want to add a comment to that, what's so weird about it is the main, like if you just buy the War of the Bounty Hunters trade, you know, the five main issues, like the standalone run that is the main bulk of the story here, it's a very simple story. Yes. But when you start to bring in all of these other, you know, three epi- or, three issues from Afra and so on and so on and so on, but, it's just a very weird, hey, here's this comic book. Like someone promises you, hey, come in. We're going to have a comic book arc that's War of the Bounty Hunters, and it's going to take place right after episode five. Okay, cool. We're going to tell that story again, right? And then you get there, 
And it's just, there's very little bounty hunters. There's very little warring. Boba Fett just feels like a person going through the motions. Like things are just happening to him. Around him. Yeah. Like it's just a very, well, and like think... the main f- like fight at the end isn't even Boba Fett. It's just, it's Kira versus Vader. It's weird. It's just weird. So, and, and again, the bloat I'm talking about is the fact of like, it should be just a straightforward Boba point of view character, but they're not because it's a comic book crossover. And so it's not only trying to make room for all these stories that don't really have room, but then on top of it, it's like a comic book story of they're setting up their next crossover event because why is Kira at the main battle? Because the next arc of, of the big movement for the star Wars comic books is a thing about Crimson Dawn. So they're setting that up in the book you've already Mm -hmm. bought. So we didn't really care about, thanks for buying this, but you need to buy the next one. That's what we care about setting you up for. Two, I was crushed by how little of Shadows of the Empire was referenced. I'm like, if you're going to tell that story, Ape from probably the biggest story in Star Wars before the prequels, the most canon, the most experienced story of Star Wars in the 90s is this major crossover event. And like... Almost none of the beats of it are represented in that story at all. And I'm like, you had you had a proven, already set story yeah. that you could just retell but remix it your own way, and you would know it would be a success. But you just went on your completely own path, your own direction that has nothing to do with that story. And I found that straight up bizarre. And Charles Soule, the main writer for this, has given us both amazing Star yes. Wars comics and novels at this point. Yes. Like, that's why I think I expected so much from this. Mm-hmm. And it just feels so pedestrian. Well, the art isn't very good. It's just very and The third thing weird. that I, I started the conversation with is, this reminds me of levels of canonicity again, because there are like a handful of things I'm like, this isn't going to last. When someone references this story, they're going to forget that. For instance, all the hot council's been dead, except for the twins. Maybe they weren't part of the council. I don't know. They apparently seem really powerful in seven years. I don't know where the rest of the huts are. I guess Jabba reforms the council or it reforms after he dies. I don't know. It's really hard because Book of Boba Fett establishes that Mal Hutta and the huts seem to be perfectly fine. That Nothing has been crippled about their empire during the Galactic Civil War. They're running like clockwork. So did this slaughtering of these huts do much? It definitely seems like the Lucasfilm story group, when they were informing Book of Boba Fett, didn't really think it was that important. Just saying. Well, that, I, I hear you on that. That kind of thing. When you So if you talk about so, like, okay, there's like a seven year gap, that's we, enough time for things to happen. But I mean, I definitely hear what you're saying. What I'm saying is the same thing that got you mad about Rise of Skywalker is there's this novel that really sets up this character and then that doesn't show up in the movie at all. Yeah. And you go... But there's a council of people whose only job is to remember what has happened in all the Star Wars, right? And I think, I really think that ship has sailed. I think there's too much content for a supervisory group to be aware of all of it. And I just think that's being advocated. And for the record, I want to just state, that is fine. But the result of that is going to be people warring over what is and isn't in. I think the issue is, that it's a twofold thing. By Disney coming in and saying all of this stuff from before is no longer part of the story. Yes. That immediately created a divide. Yes. And no matter what, 
even 25 years from now, people <laughs> will still be talking about how great the old EU was. I've read Red Harvest. I can tell you it was not a perfect thing. No. Right? Like, we can all... No, but that's... But, but people don't acknowledge that, it seems. And so it's okay if not every... If I read this War of the Bounty Hunters sure. trade and don't love it. It's totally okay. But it is weird when it's replacing something like Shadows of the Empire that... Which is a solid... You know, if, if you're listening story. to this and you were not a huge Star Wars fan in the 90s... Like we were. Yeah. Tell us, do you have any reverence for Shadows of the Empire? Did you read well, the comics? Did you play the game? Did you read the novelization? Did you listen to the soundtrack? Right. You know, if you're out there and you're listening to this, tell us, you know, twitter.com slash Star Wars All In. Like, just put it to you this let way. us know. But for us, we like, did. The Thrawn trilogy still sells really well mm -hmm. on places like Amazon and Kindle. So obviously, people say that, hey, a handful of these stories are really good, even though they obviously can't happen. Like, Thrawn's the perfect example because Thrawn cannot happen. The second we made episode seven, it is impossible for that story to function in the way Star Wars' narrative works, right? Whereas, like, Shadows of the Empire, until this came out, like, Shadow of the Empire didn't exist, but it's still, that puzzle piece still fit in everything that we had, and now, now it doesn't, and that's okay. But it's hard not to end up into, it's kind of your obligation to me if you're going to do this, we have a story group, we have this whole licensing, yeah. we're going to make this really tighter... Your job is to, at minimum, have your own internal wiki yeah. that all your authors are beholden to of, yeah. if someone said this happened and we published it, you can't countermand it. You're not allowed. It's it's the modern era. We can keep track of this stuff. You either have to have that or be telling better stories than the stories you're replacing. It does seem, and obviously we can only speculate on this. Sure. It does seem like over the years we have all gotten, and by we, I mean, you know, you and I and, and, and a certain segment of Star Wars fans have really gotten to the point where people like Pablo and others have really hammered it home. Disney is, does not really care about having an overseer for this thing. Right. They do not find that's important for whatever reason, because, you know, we've heard many stories now about. Yeah, we told JJ that wasn't a great idea, but they did it anyway. And like, right. well, and to be you blunt, know, I like, think what you have to sum that discourse up, I believe that Lucasfilm created the story group in good faith and hired those people to run the licensing end of this thing and make it all connect. But Disney, their parent company, is more concerned about the project right in front of their face. Yeah. And that's not surprising from Disney, who no one at Disney is going around going like, wait a minute, Snow White and Cinderella standing next to each other? How did that even happen? Are there quantum portals? Plot hole. Like, they're an IP company. They see these things as IPs, and as long as it fits on a shoe right, they'll print it on that shoe. Yeah. Like, they don't have that kind of feeling. And the only other place that they're managing this sort of similar property is Marvel. And to be honest, only Marvel works because Kevin Feige and team have domination over that. And remember, that didn't start out as solid as it is now, right? No. The first two phases I of watched Marvel Agents of Shield. have a lot of ups and downs in the grand scheme of things compared to where it feels right now. It's frustrating for Star Wars because Star Wars is a property with such a long history, well, 
But it's understandable that, you know, episode seven maybe wasn't the best production and, ever. But we're at a point now yes. where that should be behind us. And the I think the worst part about it is, and the reason why it gets so tied up, is regardless of how well it worked, Lucas was one of the first companies to say, our canon's important. Yeah. We're going to have people whose job it is is to try and, to the best of their ability, make all these disparate products work together for the most part. Yeah. And so it's very weird to have that sort of frame at the edges. And again, the stakeholders in the bigger projects are mostly aware of each other. Like, I don't have to worry about uh, a Favreau or a, a Dave just trampling over it with no excuses or understanding of what they're doing. Right. Like, but if, see, I felt that way until Kanan and the Bad Batch. See, that's the th I feel like yeah, we're even getting only, to a point where even no, that now is like. But no, they're just like me. And they go, oh, the comic books, I guess those exist. And that's fine, but that is not what Disney promised us. And no, it's, it's not. frustrating when and they want us to keep buying these things that like, oh, resistance. And to sum up an old argument, just, yeah. you want them reined in more and, and want it to connect. Yeah. And I am totally fine with it fraying as long as we all just start admit that like they're not doing their job. So this is G level canon. This is A level canon. This would be, yeah. and go back to the EU because the EU already sort of figured this out in the sense of there were things that were absolute anchor points all stories will respect these the movies you can't change or recontextualize really anything from the movies yeah. they are so important to the tent poles of this franchise yeah. you can't touch them and then the next rung down was like did lucasfilm make it themselves so like the games were totally. always fairly high the shadows of the empire was high and then you just kept going down and that's what it feels like to me because when i look at this book and i see like characters like dirge i'm like dude i thought dirge was a great character design too why is he here and the answer is, I don't think they thought about why he's here. They just said he's cool. I actually think specifically to that point, I think he does show up in another comic previous to this. Um, but that having makes it said worse. all that. Two, um, the other thing about it is, like I said, like characters like Dr. Afra are fantastic characters. But it is weird having Afra, this millennial, very modern, chic kind of person who works on nanodroids and other our era science fiction standing next to grand general Monty. Like, no, these two people cannot exist in the same era. This doesn't work. Also, there's a green rabbit man who is obviously <laughs> something from seventies comics. Just look at him. <laughs> and it's like, I don't have a necessarily a problem with that, but it just seems like a throw it all in. It's a very, the comics are a kitchen sink. Like I said, when I read the first star Wars comic where I'm like, Oh, so Luke's already battled AT-ATs on a speeder bike like he's going to use in Return of the Jedi. Why are those specials in the movie, though, if he's already done all those stuff in, to be honest, much more interesting modern action sequences? Oh, right, because I can't accept these as happening because they're fan fiction. And there's nothing wrong with fan fiction unless it's being told to me to be the real things that happened. So, anyway... Well, let me give you last words and rebuttal to that if you have anything. Um, I guess my thought on it is Disney told us that they were going to respect an overall continuity when they took over. And it just, as years go by, feels more and more like that isn't true. And we've been. And that's fine. Yes. But at a certain point, People are going to get frustrated if you say this is part of the journey to the next movie and it ties into it and they buy it. And then the next movie doesn't not only ignore it, 
but directly contradicts it or doesn't play into it at all. And that is just, at that point, this is just a Terminator book that doesn't actually have anything to do with the Terminator movies, but is just fan fiction. I think we're right on a long enough timeline. They just have to decide. Are you going to kind of state that these are legends? They're fun parts of our universe, but they're not load bearing. Mm -hmm. They don't count. Or, or they count enough yeah. until countermanded or whatever, right? Or are you going to go with the, you know, no, 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 no. Like, they're not just for fun. They, we have to rein this in and be very yeah. serious because the longer we go, the f- the more they dance on that knife edge yeah. of even norms are going to start seeing these cra- cracks. Because I felt the same way after Catalyst. Orson Krennic is a different character to me because I read Rogue One Catalyst mm-hmm. than if you just watched the movie by itself. You cannot, you literally cannot see him the way I saw him unless you read that book. And that's that's the world we live in is these items seem connected until they get to a stakeholder who says, yeah, but I'm not going to go that way. And then that, that paves over it. Yeah. And then that author doesn't have time to respond and rewrite their book to match that because it still has to launch with the movie. It's um, a very interesting, I mean, ultimately, none of this should matter. Who cares, right? Well, if a TV show or a movie comes out that you like and you enjoy it, great. If a book comes sure. out you want to read and you want to enjoy it, great. But there is something that just for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just among Star Wars fans or just of Star Wars fans of a certain generation or whatever, but there's something about it that just irks me well, that they're playing so fast and loose with all of this I continuity think the stuff. argument for me is because it's not hard to keep track of this stuff. Now, when I was a kid, you had to go by the essential guide of characters to try and figure out how that person connects to that person and what ship is that. We have the Wikipedia. We have zillions of fan communities. It's not like... It's not like you could rename Boba Fett's ship and not tell me why, because there's too many people know what that name of that ship is. It's not uncommon knowledge. And to be honest, you guys have access to the Wikipedia too. You can go look up the facts of what you've already written. And so I think that's one of the reasons it's kind of insufferable. But to your point, I'm not trying to badmouth anyone for having their fun wrong. If you like comic book storytelling, the great thing about the comic books I read and looked through for this, for prepping for this, this is Marvel comic books as it exists. This is told in a comic book crossover style. And if you love that storytelling, I was there, man. I loved like Onslaught, Heroes Were Born, Civil War. I love those stories. But most of them only work when you're buying the issues as they come out and being part of that discourse while it's happening. Because when you read them in a trade paperback, you realize how cliffhangery they all are and how all of them are to set up a great final image. So you buy the next issue with a great cover that makes you want to buy it. Like, And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a style of yeah. storytelling. Um, but I think what we, we've been saying a lot over the last, especially like since Rise came out, is... This underpinning of the Star Wars community of, well, actually, since Last Jedi came out, there's so much Star Wars now. We're making more than we ever have. There is no way for you to have your hands on all of it. And then more importantly, no one is asking you to do that. No one wants you to be a scholar on all Star Wars because that's when you see these cracks. That's when you see that this stuff isn't meant to glue together perfectly just like the EU because no one at Delray assumed you were reading the Dark Horse comics and no one at Dark Horse was assuming everything in the Delray comics had to come over but Lucas yeah. Lucas um licensing 
was navigating them around the bigger points they don't bump into each other. Now that we have Star Wars, we have, I think, kind of the same thing. Like, even to a degree, like, it seems like all the attention on keeping things together is that bandwidth's consumed by keeping High Republic straight. Like, we don't have time to check the other products. We're really busy making this initiative function together. And, and we're still got some cracks there, too. And, but what's not, I don't want to say weird, but what's interesting about that is the High Republic should be the goal. The High Republic is a shining example of what you can do sure. with authors working together and telling a cohesive, larger story in an interesting way. Um, the only thing I'll say, one more thing about Star Wars comics in general yeah. and continuity, the concept of continuity, because that's what this book has really brought about for us, is the desire for Marvel Comics to fill in every gap of the original trilogy. Yes. And just like by the time we were three years into Disney's oh ownership and we had a new Han Solo actor, every Han Solo story from the original trilogy era has been told by the comics. Like there's no room to put anything I was gonna else say, in there. And that's a very odd choice. The comics really do make me like the the opponents of Solo who are like, I didn't need to know that story. I'm like, I thought it was a great story. And I really enjoyed it. Comic books are like, I didn't need to know that story. I didn't need to know all those gaps. Yeah. I didn't need to know that Luke and Vader fought like eight more times than we saw in the movies. It's like, weird. It's it, weird. Well, it's weird. I think the thing about it is it's fun stories. It's just hard to go. Yeah. But what if they really happened? Wow. That makes the whole stories feel flimsy. And like, like, like I said, the biggest weird one to me was just reading that first arc of star Wars and starting to realize like, wait, Luke already held his lightsaber up to Vader before Bespin. No, I don't buy that for a mile. Like that's a scared kid who's turning that sword on and going, man, this guy's really tall for the first time. It's hard for me to believe that they bumped into each other that directly a number of times before we get there. But I also understand. Yeah. Put Vader on that cover. Everyone loves Vader. All these stories, like Vader already was a super busy by guy in the EU. He is a ridiculous, ridiculously like, like yeah. it's a good thing the guy probably doesn't need to sleep he just meditates for an hour because otherwise how is he getting all of this done he's earning that spot as the number two it's great he's doing mm. a lot of work so anyway again i want to say if you're having your fun enjoy it i think what we're talking about is just a day of reckoning that's eventually coming of they're gonna have to either rein it in or just let it slip out of their hands of just trying not to pretend that they're keeping it all basically i think we're frustrated with the Look, either manage it or don't, or or have labels. Like, there's legends, and then there's myths that super can't happen, and then there's maybes, like fables that might have happened. Like, <laughs> like I'm not asking for a sanctioned levels of canonicity, but there's definitely a part of me going like, the fans will fill that vacuum as you make your products flimsier and flimsier as far as their connection points to each yep. other. So, all that being said... Boba Fett turns in Han Solo and does not ask for more money, which I think is really weird because he already knows Jabba would pay a million for it. So I kind of <laughs> say, like, I did a lot more work for this Jabba. And if you're going to pay them a million, I'm just saying Papa Fett will take it for, what do you say, 7.75 million. What do you say? I'm giving you a bargain. A real deal. Um, and so we see that a couple weeks after that, like, Boba Fett is enjoying his money and his spending by just being a hanger on at Jabba's palace, uh, you know, tapping the under chins of some of the dancing girls. Like that's just who he is just living his best fat life. 
Unfortunately, they go on this nice pleasure cruise on the sail barge out to the Great Pit of Carcoon, and some jerk frees Han Solo. But you know what? Boba Fett is, at this point, after this story, a Han Solo hunting machine. So as long as he doesn't get the back of his dome hit with a stick, he'll be... all. Oh. Boba is able to do a lot with his jetpack, uh, considering, I mean, in the War of the Bounty Hunters book, we see it get destroyed, and then he immediately has another one. Um, so it is interesting, you know, to see the, the jetpack get damaged so easily. I think that's something that we're basically a point saying of Boba's jetpack does not seem like it's best guard. Wow, you know what? A perfect example. He loses his jetpack, right? Mm-hmm. What are the bounty hunters should have been being, I mean, he picked up Forlom's head at some point and reused that. So why don't you just do, he picks up the jetpack and he jury rigs it back together and it explains why it does malfunction in Return of the Jedi. We are giving you these ideas for free. Just watch the movies a little harder. You would be set. And so Boba is able to pull himself out of the Sarlacc. He is robbed by some Jawas. He is then saved by some Tusken Raiders. Right. And by showing that he is, in fact, a bad Mama Jamma, he is able to earn their respect and uh, become and one with the, the Tuskens. Yes. And that's kind of where we're going to leave our story here, because when we tell our third stale of Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett will be done. We'll have some more stuff that have probably been added to canon. And mm-hmm. we'll see where Boba Fett's journey continues. But it is interesting in Book of Boba Fett, we are seeing him develop as a character and I feel some of the threads you mostly brought it up is much like uh, the Fast Furious series it's about family in the sense of it looks like what Boba Fett's constantly doing in the way that the Disney canon of him kind of establishes is trying to network and trying to build a group and be part of something more than himself a group of people and I think when you figure out that he's this almost orphan single dad raised kid it makes sense that that's a theme that you can really use to harmonize and tie a whole character together is his desire for connection i mean we saw that in at the time of this recording you'll be watching a new one today but uh we saw the last episode like him trying to make that connection with the rancor is like a microcosm of that of trying to make connections with beings and people and and trying to show respect. He doesn't want to rule by fear. He wants people to be loyal to him because they because he's deserving of their loyalty. He's um, working on it. And it's great. And I like where that's going. And I hope that's kind of where it pays off. But you future people will know better than us how that turns out. So for the moment, we're going to leave Boba Fett here in the desert with his Tuscan pals, trying to figure out how to rob a train and get people off the Tuscans' land because they were here first, man. They were here first. They claimed it. They did. We bring another one home. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can. I think we kept that light. Hopeful. 
hopeful. I, mean, I hope hey, we weren't just old men complaining. We might have been. I hope here's we weren't. the bottom line, right? There are some really great things happening in Star Wars comics, yes. but they are not all for us. And that's I, okay. And, and I will say, the comic books, like, I love Dr. Aphra. I loved Princess Leia. I like the Lando comic. Like, they bat for The Darth Vader one, runs have all been very good. They bat, like, one for three of, man, this is a great story. I'm so glad to have this in Star Wars for every two that I go, does this belong? Should this be in Star Wars? And it's usually, even then, it's not usually, like, me being, like, oh, my gosh, they're ruining canon. This is terrible. It's more of, like, a, you went with that? That's... Is that your final answer? Not going to take another <laughs> stab at that script? Okay, you do what you want. And I think that's the biggest thing that we try to keep ourselves sane with is like, we're not gatekeepers. In fact, we're anti-gatekeepers. I hate gatekeeping. It, it's the most frustrating thing to me. If like, I love weird stuff. I love the Tales of the Jedi. Do you know how many Star Wars fans are as scholarly about Tales of the Jedi I am? Very few. And when they paved over that with Bioware, I went, I don't really care. These games are weird to me because they don't fit what I already know. But you know what? More people are liking some of the things I like, and maybe they'll read the comic books that I really like, even if they don't fit anymore that well. Because those stories are great. I think it's awesome that Disney continues to publish Legends because most of those stories are great. Sure, they don't work anymore as far as they don't fit into the universe, but there's still really great stories about characters, places, and things you really like. And we're at a point now where that's just what we're going to have to start accepting about Star Wars is there is so much of it and it's not all going to be fresh. You know, I feel like we have this conversation once every six weeks, but it is something that is just becoming more and more prevalent. And a book like this, I think, really shows it to us that, hey, if this War of the Bounty Hunters run is your favorite oh. thing in Star Wars, that's great. I think well, that's fantastic. It's just not mine. And that's and okay. again, the universe is just getting big that we can't all like the same things. And they're making things for everybody. And you'll find something that you like. Like Book of Boba Fett's a great example. The discourse around it has been all over the place. There are people who just love every single frame of it. There are people that go, this isn't my Boba Fett. There are people going like, that's not what Boba Fett would do. <laughs> and I find it hilarious that those are two different camps because I mostly chalk it up to people who only saw the movies and go, he's supposed to be a mysterious, a mysterious, you know, awesome super soldier. Then there's people like me who read the EU is like, no, he's supposed to be this tortured soul who's living on the fringe of the galaxy and making his way by being the best because he has to to survive. Which also doesn't necessarily drive with everything because that's the EU and it doesn't count anymore. Like, it's interesting to see that this action figure of a character, many people have poured into what they think that character is. And it's coming out and it can't satisfy everyone because once you start nailing down character traits, he's a known quantity. He isn't mm -hmm. just the dude in armor anymore. He's a character and that character starts polarizing people. And that's fine. That's what Star Wars is going to continue to do as they define, especially these legacy characters, give them more uh, grip. Like you mentioned it in our previous comment, like, yes, Han Solo had a first marriage. That's a thing. Does it really yeah. matter? Do you need to know that to enjoy Star Wars? No. Does it recontextualize some things in Star Wars? It could. It doesn't have to. It's just interesting. It's a wrinkle that some people are bringing to their own Star Wars canon and that they really enjoy or they really hate it. It's okay for it to be all over the place. I mean, I completely agree. That is just the world of Star Wars we live in now. And I will always argue, no matter what, that it is better to have more Star Wars than to still just be sitting episode three being the newest thing. 
But man, I got to tell you one thing. That is still the most hilarious phenomenon in my entire fandom of Star Wars. That the general mainstream Star Wars fandom is going like, the prequels are okay. <laughs> like, we've had so much strife in the community on different quarters since then that like the moaning about the prequels seems like, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't like episode one, but whatever. It was like, a long time like, ago. It, it really has. That wound is really, really healed. You can still see where the stitches are, but it's healed. It only took 20 years. And again, I think that we've we've talked before, like, I, I still stand by that. I have a lot of problems with Rise of Skywalker. When it's not the last statement on Star Wars live action movies, I'm sure I'll be a way less forget, way more forgiving of all of its weird stuff and yeah. more focus on things that I did like. Like, man, that... Space Burning Man was cool. What a neat set piece. And I'll be thinking about that more than I'll think about Ray Palpatine. Really? Like, she's a Palpatine. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's fine. It's, 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 all, it's all good. It's fine. Star Wars is great, and there's going to be more of it. And so that's all that really it. matters, isn't it? Agreed. Agreed. Because if you don't like this, maybe you'll like the next one. And that is a good feeling instead of sitting around going like, well, episode three is done. It's going to be more Star Wars, right, guys? I mean, right? Hope this Clone Wars movie turns out to be good. Well, the thing about the thing that was interesting was there was still that drought for like three years three before years, they announced yeah. that they were going to do Clone Wars. And like Clone Wars were like, a, oh, good. Star Wars is going to continue. I mean, yeah. we all thought it would, but like without movies, could it keep going? And it's like, well, we'll see if TV shows keep it going. <laughs> um, so it, I, I am glad to know that no matter what Star Wars does, Star Wars is going to be doing another thing in a couple, in like a couple of weeks. So <laughs> it's just going to be fun. The train keeps rolling. Yeah. And we talked about it last week, just how many exciting things are happening in mm -hmm. Star Wars 22. So I, I'm excited to be here and I can't wait to see what next, but until then, my name is Mac and I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, force be with This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2022.